Warning. This podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. Today, I have the immense pleasure of chatting with a young gentleman who I have followed on LinkedIn for a while. I've seen what he's been doing and I'm well excited to understand a little bit more about it. Mr. Jared Thatcher, you may know him of virtual uh, Lean Virtual Summit, Virtual Lean Summit fame. Um, and he, but he's also got a day job as well, which I'm, I'm sure we will, uh, we will get into as well. But Mr. Jared Thatcher, how are you? I'm, I'm brilliant. Thanks, Lee. Thank you so much for joining me today. So, in fact, actually, before we got into the Virtual Lean Summit uh, and we talk about that, what is it you do during the day and how did you get into it? What's, what's your story? Wow. Uh, you know, I was uh, born in Portland, Oregon uh, a few years ago. So I, I appreciate you calling me young. That, that's great. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I uh, right now, uh, we'll skip forward and then probably, you know, go back. But um, right now I work for the uh, Port of Seattle as the uh, Continuous Process Improvement Program Manager. Did you Big choose one. that title? No. Yeah. <laughs> we, we shortened it on our business card because that's too long uh, to the CPI Program Manager. But uh, what we do is we help uh, the, the organization to really embrace lean thinking, to go ahead and uh, think differently. And when I say the organization, the Port of Seattle has been around since 1911. It is a government agency, and uh, it was uh, founded and created to um, help maintain uh, good trade practices uh, within industry around the world. So we have uh, port facilities uh, for you know the big, huge cargo ships that come in that we have as a joint venture with the uh, Port of Tacoma. Uh, we have uh, different... Oh, docks, uh, marinas, things like that for like the, the ships as they uh, go out and uh, do fishing, uh, as well as uh, a marina for uh, pleasure boats. We also have uh, the Port of Seattle or the SeaTac uh, International Airport. And it is mostly there that I work. So what we do is is a lot of different things. And, and I think that's actually one of the most interesting things about my job is because we are a government agency, we do work with uh, so many different uh, companies and the general public for that matter, especially with, uh, you know, flying uh, now that we're starting to get back into it after COVID. I have the unique opportunity to work on projects, not just within the different departments here at the Port of Seattle, but also with different companies. So I've, I've run uh, projects where we've worked with like United and Delta and Alaska and you know, um, oh, Hawaiian Air, uh, as well as some of the low wing companies like uh, Swiss Port, you know, who do the fueling or Delta Ground Services or uh, WFS, you know, these, these people that go ahead and unload the planes for us and refuel them and get them, uh, you know, turned. And so it's, it's unique where you're pulling in a bunch of companies to work on lean process improvements. And uh, it's, I think there's very few people in the world that actually have that opportunity 
to be able to not just work cross-functionally with different departments, uh, but also to work um, cross-organizationally with, with different uh, companies. So that's, that's kind of what I do. Uh, it's, it's really about helping people. It's about helping uh, the customer to have a better experience with the, our processes. It's also about helping to reduce the frustrations that our people feel as they're going through and having issues and having things come up with the process. It's not working for them or it takes too long and that sort of thing. Got you. Got you. So before, in fact, actually, uh, uh, I'm not sure which way to go. In, yeah, in fact, we'll just talk about this, just your, your current role, just for, just for a minute. How do you, in fact... What, I put a post on LinkedIn the other day that said the um, the secret of problem solving is problem finding, um, and and we 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 go we're in this 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 game where where people get trained in problem solving, um, and the tools and techniques to solve problems, but not very many people are taught how to find problems um, systemically um, that and and then and then capture them and all of that stuff. So I, I believe the secret of problem solving is problem finding. And, and what you've just spoke about there is, is about uh, a lot of different projects where you're going to pull some major players together to, um, to, to work on these projects and programs to make it better for the customer. Um, how do you get or to identify the, the project? Is it something that is a, that is it because something has fundamentally broken that it requires it? So it's firefighting or is there something within your processes that daily you are finding these things? all along. How, can you just talk me through the difference of those? Yeah, I, I think there's there's a combination of ways that, that we get projects and the way things come up. So so part of it is firefighting, right? I mean, that, that's, I would say, typically, those are the bigger projects. Those are the ones that, hey, we had something happen, right? Um, there was some major incident that, that occurred that we realized all of a sudden we're vulnerable to something. So um, we need to fix this uh, and we need to do it now. Uh, and there's also those issues that have just been kind of ongoing that, you know, it's like, you know what, we just have to do something about this. We're tired of, of doing these workarounds. There's, there's got to be a better way. Uh, but sometimes it comes from coaching. It comes from helping people to, like you said, be able to see that there is a problem. That they may not realize, right? They just think, oh, that's just the way it is. And realize, well, just because that's the way it is doesn't mean you have to be satisfied with that. So a lot of what we do is teaching. A lot of what we do is helping people to be able to see and really understand how processes work. I mean, a lot of people, when you say processes that, you know, what are your processes? They're like, I don't have processes. And it's like, no, you, you have processes. You really do. It may change each time because you don't have it like, you know, standardized, but you do have a process in order to go from point A to point B. And helping them to see and understand the different types of what we call in, in lean waste, Right? Those different uh, things that really, if you were to eliminate those or reduce those, it would help the whole entire process to, to be uh, more streamlined, to be more effective, to be more efficient. And so helping people to see those things is, is critical. And, and uh, Lee, to your, to your point, I think you're right to go ahead and, and say that having, um, how do we put it, being able to go ahead and identify the problem, get to that root cause is, is important. But I think even more important than that is being able to have a critical eye in, in asking questions and asking the right questions and yep. sometimes asking stupid questions. And uh, that's, that's something that I learned as a management consultant. Um, and so 
we can probably skip back now. You know, um, I hope we have that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're, we're having the, the transition here. All right. So I actually started off my career uh, really young. Uh, the first 20 years of my working career, uh, which which makes me sound really old, but um, not not so much. I actually started working when I was 12. Uh, and the first job I had was actually my mom uh, woke me up one summer and uh, morning and she said, uh, you're going to earn your own money for summer camp. And uh, she took me out like some early, I don't know, like 536 AM. It was just, it was crazy. Uh, it's summer. I shouldn't, I shouldn't wake up that early. Yeah. And she took me out to the strawberry fields and she dropped me off and uh, said, okay, uh, here's some money. Uh, go ahead and pick as many strawberries as you can. And we'll, we'll, we'll turn around and sell them to the neighbors. Okay. So I went ahead and I worked for several hours and picked strawberries and then we went and sold them to the neighbors. And then I took the money that I earned from that. And I used that to you know, pay my mom back and then go out and do that over and over and over again. Um, and so it only took about two weeks to earn the money for summer camp. And uh, I decided I did not want to be a farm worker. Uh, instead, I ended up uh, going out that, uh, that school year. And every day after school, I would go and walk uh, probably about the mile and a half to my dad's uh, office. He had a steel fabricating business and I started sweeping the floors and then I started running blueprints. He had a, um, you know, this construction business. And so uh, eventually I decided that I wanted to learn all aspects of that. So I ended up, uh, you know, getting into construction and really uh, working construction for the next 20 years. Um, about half of that with my dad's company and then the other half going off on my own um, working for other people as well as uh, starting my own uh, business as well. So that's, that's kind of how it started. And at a certain point, um, probably when I was working road construction and I realized that people could get killed in <laughs> doing this type of work, um, you know, you're, you're working on the side of the road and cars are driving by at 65 miles an hour, you know, it's uh, and, and they're three feet from you, <laughs> you yeah. know, and it, yeah, this is not the office environment I want to work in. Um, so at that point, I decided, well, you know, maybe I should go get my MBA, break into a you know, corporate business. And I hear that's kind of fun. Um, I'm not sure who I heard that from. I should probably slap them uh, next okay. time I meet them. But I uh, went and got my MBA. And so I, I went to the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, figured if I'm going to study international business, I, you know, makes sense to study internationally. Yeah. So, Went there, uh, had the opportunity to do one term abroad. Uh, not that I wasn't already abroad, but uh, we went from Edinburgh down to uh, Barcelona, Spain, to AOTA Business School, and uh, spent one term down there. So uh, it was absolutely a fantastic, uh, you know, opportunity to make that transition from working construction, you know, being a project manager, being an estimator, um, you know, being uh, a drafter and detailer and iron worker and, and you name it. Um, and so made that transition. Uh, just a side note, uh, we happened to go to Barcelona about uh, three days before my wife and my uh, 10th anniversary. And so I told my wife that I was taking her to Spain for, you know, um, for three months as, as a anniversary present. Lee, don't ever set the bar so high that you have uh, to work on to. So, um, you know, the next year she's like, okay, so what are you doing this year? It's like, no, 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 this is like a, you know, once a decade thing. And uh, I kind of lucked out uh, our 20th anniversary hit and uh, we were in the middle of COVID. So I, eh, we can't go anywhere, uh, but I owe her. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, 
my first job after going ahead and it, it was really a bad time because I, I started my MBA in 2008. And the day I started school was the day after Lehman Brothers collapsed. So we had all sorts of just um, interesting, you know, headlines in the paper, crash, the end is here. Um, you know, my, my personal favorite is how the masters of the universe ran amok and cost us the world. So uh, that was the day I started school. It's like, oh, this, is, this is brilliant. And then when I graduated, it was, uh, it was tough. It was tough finding a job. Uh, I had a, a work visa in the UK. Uh, we looked for a little while. I couldn't find anything. Decided, well, let's go back to the States. Went back to the States. Um, and it took me about six months. Well, actually, from the time I got back to the States, about another four months uh, to go ahead and actually find uh, find employment. And uh, that was at Daimler Trucks North America. And I happened to be the first person they had hired after they had had a hiring freeze for almost two years. Wow. And so, uh, it actually took a little while from the, they kept on leading me along, like um, just one more interview, just one more interview and found out that they'd already made their decision, um, but they didn't want me to take any other jobs. And so they, uh, they were waiting for Germany to approve them hiring in the U.S. Um, got that approval and I started. Uh, and I started off in their continuous cost improvement group, uh, working with a bunch of consultants um, and ended up uh, moving into a special project team where we rolled out lean to the indirect side of the business. So we, to the office side. So working with McKinsey consulting, um, we ended up working together and we rolled out um, in, in these waves uh, in each department. So we'd spend about four months with a department, teaching them about lean, helping them to uh, tackle their biggest uh, process and look for improvements and then um, setting them up to continue to do that after we left. And then we'd go on to the next group and continue to do follow up with those different departments. And so I did that until um, I was recruited by Slalom Consulting and yeah. I worked for them. And uh, that, that's, that's where kind of the consulting side came up and, and I'll talk about some lessons learned there in a second. Uh, but I got to work for some really great companies, Nike, uh, Mercy Corps, uh, Standard Insurance, uh, Portland General Electric. Uh, so a lot of different industries, a lot of different companies. Uh, but one thing about consulting, you're not, you're not treated like part of the, the company. You're not treated like part of the family, kind of like that crazy cousin or uncle or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I kind of missed feeling, you know, like I belonged. So I ended up uh, taking a job at Alaska Airlines. I uh, worked for them for uh, two years, and unfortunately, they were going through a, a transition. They had just acquired uh, Virgin um, Airlines, American, and uh, they were a little top-heavy with management, and so they, they let a bunch of people go, including all of my lean team, uh, except for me. Uh, so that happened eight months after I started, and then uh, after I finished a big project uh, for them, uh, they weren't quite sure where to put me after that. It was like, okay, well, I don't have a team anymore really. And, and, you know, so I started looking around and I found this opportunity at the port of Seattle. So that's, that's kind of my, my work history and, and uh, where I've been. That's really, really interesting. The first question that pops into my mind um, there is, is after spending so much time in construction and then going into improvement and working in different industries and now finding yourself back in, I guess, large, like construction type, arena what do you which do you prefer is it is, is it construction that's inside of you is it 
is it improvement that's inside of you what is it that is what is it that you enjoy well Lee, that's a great question um you know my name thatcher and as as you know being from uh, england uh my name comes from people that thatched roofs yeah and you still have people that thatch roofs in in uh, england so construction has always been part of my my blood you know my my, my dad most of my uncles they all started construction businesses um I, you know, I even worked for uh, my uncle who had a, uh, you know, finished cabin, cabinetry uh, business, you know, so I, I got to learn, you know, how to do fine woodworking, you know, I got to learn how to build uh, structural steel and build, you know, bridges and dams and, and, uh, you know, high rises and, and you name it. Um, had another uncle that went off and started a, you know, a road construction company, right? So, I mean, I, I got this, you know, huge variety of stuff. My, my grandfather actually started uh, with, I think he said $24. He started a construction business, a general contracting business, and it, it ended up being one of the largest uh, general contracting businesses west of the Mississippi. Um, and, you know, he actually had an airplane that he would get every other year, and he would fly around to the different jobs all over the country uh, to check on the crews uh, to make sure that they were, uh, you know, doing the work and doing the jobs they needed to be doing. Uh, so it's it's been in the family for as long as we've had a last name. And I love building things. I love seeing that result, knowing, you know, that that bridge is going to be there probably long after I'm, I'm you know, dead and gone. Right. Um, yeah. You can see the, the efforts of your work. And I love that, but I also love people, I think more. And so for me, continuous process improvement is that ability to help people solve problems, ability to help people really transform and change. And so I've gone into departments that have been quite frankly, toxic and uh, high turnover and they're frustrated. They're frustrated with the processes. They're frustrated with, um, you know, each other because the processes aren't working, um, but they don't recognize that. They don't understand why it is that they're so frustrated. They're doing all this overtime. They're doing all this, you know, this work. And it seems like they're not getting anywhere and being able to go in there and help them, you know, actually see what's going on in the processes, see where they're, they could be more efficient, see where they can be more effective and being able to help them change the dynamic, help them to come together as a team. I've had, you know, people that literally started yelling at me and I thought they were going to hit me uh, as I'm trying to explain what we want them to do. And, you know, then helping them to understand and see why this is going to benefit them. And then all of a sudden going from, you know, having that hostile nature to all of a sudden being our biggest supporter. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to be walking down, you know, the hallway a year later and have a guy, you know, see me, you know, walking past in the hall and come running out and say, Hey, you, you got to come check out what we're doing. Remember that process that used to take us three days, uh, you know, three, four days a week to do. Um, we can now do it in 15 minutes, check this out, you know, and they're happy. They're, they're excited because it, they have the passion again for doing the type of work that they originally signed up to do yeah. and rid of a lot of the waste, a lot of the monotony, a lot of the, the things that did not add to their fulfillment and enjoyment. So have people always been important to you, Jared? You know, Lee, that, that, that's a great question. Yes. <laughs> I, it's, it's something I've, I've always enjoyed, you know, being around people, having friends. I, you know, that said, doesn't mean that I wasn't bullied as a kid. Right. You know, I was, I was taller than most of my classmates, uh, you know, so I was awkward and gawky and, a, you know, beanpole and, and, um, you know, I had this, this passion for sharing. So, 
uh, give you a good example. When, when I was younger, um, our next door neighbor, uh, she had grown up on the Indian reservation. Uh, her, her father had a trading post. And uh, so she had cool uh, Navajo, you know, artifacts, blankets and, and, you know, just all sorts, anything and everything that you could imagine, um, you know, from the Native American culture, she, she had it. She actually, you know, spoke Navajo. Uh, she uh, went to school with them, uh, you know, even though she was white. And so uh, it was just really fun going over to their house and seeing all this stuff and having her tell the stories and, and all that. And so we had a unit where we were studying, you know, Native American you know, culture. And this was in fourth grade. And I ended up, uh, you know, telling my teacher about it. And so we actually did a field trip where everybody, we went over to their house. She made uh, Indian fry bread. We, you know, listened to stories, looked at, and she literally had this museum of all of this stuff that she had, you know, acquired from her father and stuff uh, down in her basement. Wow. Oh. And uh, it was, it was a fantastic, uh, you know, thing. And so for me, it's, it's always, you know, when I find something, when I find something that's exciting or something that's new or something, uh, you know, that I, I learned, I love sharing that type of stuff with people. I love, you know, you know, seeing the, the enjoyment and the learnings and, and stuff with, with other people. So uh, that's always been, you know, part of my nature. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's, I, I love helping people. I love, uh, you know, doing that sort of thing. In fact, when, when I was uh, 19, I, uh, I went off and I, I served a two-year mission for my church, right? You know, so we, I ended up going to Japan yeah. and uh, teaching people about, uh, you know, my love for Jesus Christ. And so went off and did that. And of course, for the first year, I did a lot of smiling because I had no idea what anybody was saying. And then one day it just clicked. It was like, oh, I get it. You know, they speak backwards. And it's like, you know, all these words I'd learned, all of a sudden everything made sense. I could speak and, and I understood. And this was fantastic. Three days later, I got transferred to the Navy base in Yokosuka, Japan, and I ended up speaking in English for the next five months, right? It was just <laughs> the, Lord, the Lord's way to keep me humble. But um, yeah, I, I love I love sharing. I love working with people and um, I love helping people. So th- thank you for that, Jared. And when we when we talk about your, or when, when you've gone through your, your career, what things, I guess, if we just pick on the, on the, the sharing thing, what's the what's the best lesson that's been shared with you or if it and, and you can define best however you like it could be most important it could be um the one that stands out it could be ho- however you want to define best but um yeah what's what's one lesson that sticks with you that that's been shared with you you know from from a strictly employee standpoint i, I think probably the best lesson was from my first manager that i had uh, when i started working after my mba and uh and Carlos, he ended up uh, helping me as, as I was preparing for my first, uh, you know, performance review at the end of the year. And he taught me that it's important to be thinking throughout the year about uh, all the different things that you do and how those are benefiting the organization, how those are benefiting your team members, how those are benefiting uh, the projects and, and the responsibility that you have. And to create this portfolio that you can go ahead and present to your boss at the end. So it's like, help me help you by you know, like, you know, telling me, you know, reminding me, what was it that you did that was great, right? Uh, and that might even be just reaching out to somebody that, you know, uh, personally congratulated, said, hey, can you just shoot me an email, you know, and, and let me know that. And then you, you have these, you know, endorsements from people, from different people on the projects that you can go ahead and you can include in there. Um, and so I started asking for, you know, recommendation letters from people. 
I started uh, putting together kind of one pagers about the projects that I worked on. You know, what was the situation? What did we do? What was the result? And I have it actually, I might've put it away. Usually I kind of have it here on my desk, but I actually have a portfolio book that has, um, you know, all the years I've been working since my MBA, where it has all of these success stories and all of the different things that I've done that I can pull out really quickly and I can show people and, and be able to say, you know, here's, here's what I have. I even have a million dollar bag. And uh, so when I, when I started working at Daimler, I was, I was part of the continuous cost improvement. So it's kind of like applying lean, uh, but looking for opportunity within parts, right? Yeah. Uh, sure. How can we keep the same, you know, form, fit and function and be able to save money? And uh, I have all sorts of different parts and almost everyone in that bag, uh, it was over a million dollars worth of savings for the organization. Wow. And some of the, sometimes it was just like asking a stupid question, right? Uh, for example, there was a, a belt once, uh, you know, so these are timing belts and a company had come to me, a supplier and said, Hey, really, you know, hope you, you check out our, our belts and our pricing and, and, and look at that. And so as I was talking to our engineering group, um, I said, Oh, well, well, they were super expensive. And I said, well, when and why? And I said, well, uh, about 10 years ago when they first came out with this new uh, you know, process um, and what they did instead of the typical way a, board, a belt is uh, formed is they extrude out all of the material and then they have these blades that come in and actually dig out the grooves. So they, they remove about a third of the material to form the grooves for the belt. And uh, they had an extraction process that would just extract it out with those grooves already you know, in, in the belt. And they're like, well, it was more expensive. And I said, well, have you looked at it recently? And they're like, well, no. And I, said, you know, and I understood that when you first come out with new technology, the tooling and everything co you know, costs more for yeah. the part. And over time, you pay off that uh, tooling and then you can lower the price. And uh, we looked at it and they were a third cheaper. Uh, and so that one you know, switch right there was a million dollar uh, savings simply by asking the question, you know, why? When was yeah. the last time? did it are we sure that's still the case and just asking literally stupid questions they thought they knew the answer and then as we looked at it it was like oh no actually it is cheaper now and this is actually a better you know product and yeah. so yeah and so i have those two things i have my portfolio book and i have my million dollar bag of, of parts of yeah i love that i love that because i think it's so important to to celebrate and remember and reflect on successes as well and there's because there is a lot of focus on what doesn't go well or what doesn't go right. But I think what you've got there is, uh, is a lot of, of celebration and reflection of, and lessons learned throughout, throughout, throughout everything that you've done. Love it. You've mentioned people, you've mentioned helping, you've mentioned, you mentioned sharing. And at the start, when I introduced you, it was uh, Mr. Virtual Lean Summit, um, which is all about people, is all about sharing, uh, and is all about learning. Um, is that, I mean, is that as simple as it, as, as it was for when, when you went, okay, I'm somebody who values people, who, who likes sharing and, and likes helping people, I'm going to create a summit? Or is there a story behind, behind how you, you created the concept for what is now, what is now a, a, a massive event? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I had no desire to go out and start this. In fact, what, what happened was uh, early days of COVID, we're coming out of that first lockdown, uh, which we all thought was going to be, you know, three to six weeks, right? Uh, so like, what was it, four months later, we're starting to come out of it. And uh, it was like, I, 
I had a bunch of friends that had small businesses and they were on the verge of uh, bankruptcy. They were on the verge of, you know, losing everything and having to lay off their employees. And, and, and it was a, it was a really awful time. And I felt really bad. I mean, I had a good job. I was able to uh, quickly uh, pivot and figure out how to do the process improvement work uh, virtually. And, uh, and we figured that out within um, about 48 hours of going into the lockdown. And so we were fine. However, I had all, all these friends, all these people that were, were struggling. And I knew if I could help them, help their employees to understand some of these basic concepts of what we do in Lean, what we do with this process improvement work, um, that it could help them to go ahead and quickly um, change their processes to meet the, the change in customer expectations. I mean, you remember those early days, people were afraid to go to the store because if I touch the doorknob, I might get COVID and I might die, right? So yep. how can we go ahead and, you know, alleviate some of those concerns, right? What can we do with our businesses to, to be able to help people? And the thought occurred to me, I don't have time. I don't have the resources to go ahead and, and coach people individually. I've got my full-time job. But what if I were to bring a bunch of experts together and we all talked about what it would take to bounce back and what we would do to help our business to, uh, to uh, uh, weather the storm and to basically transform using lean principles? And I thought, well, that's a great idea. But then it was like the only way to do that's virtually. And I did not know how to really use Zoom. Uh, I mean, I, we use Teams. And so, I, I mean, I didn't know how to create a website. I didn't know how to like, you know, coordinate all this or to get the recordings or I, I, I was completely oblivious. And so for a week, I tried to convince myself, this is a stupid idea. I don't know how to do this. This is dumb. And for a week, this idea just kept on staying with me. And so at the end of a week, and, and seriously trying to convince myself, this is dumb, and I don't want to do this. And it wasn't going away. It's like, okay, well, maybe I should just do it. And so I went ahead and I set a, a deadline. I said, six weeks from now, we're going live. <laughs> wow. And I ended up pulling in just over 20 people from around the world, uh, some leading experts. We had uh, people like Paul Akers with Two Second Lean. We had uh, Adi Anderson, Karen Ross, uh, Michael Brimmer. Uh, who else do we have? Uh, Daniel Markovitz. I mean, we had a whole bunch of you know uh, folks um, that really are, are kind of leading experts in, in their field. And, uh, and they all said yes. And so we ended up pulling this up and it was great. And I was kind of thinking one and done. And then I started having people reach out to me. So I had uh, some of the speakers actually, you know, notice some of my, my content posts and saying, hey, um, I've been thinking about that thing. How would you address this? How would you solve it? It's like, well, this is kind of cool. You know, the, the thought leaders are reaching out to me asking for my input. That's, that's neat. And then I started having the people that attended. And I, that first year we had um, about 450, 460 people that showed up. Um, and uh, started having a bunch of them saying, hey, that was so great. When is the next one? <laughs> I was like, next one? Okay. Yeah. So last year, we did it again. And uh, this time, we had a little over 60 uh, people from around the world, uh, every continent except for Antarctica. And uh, it, was, uh, it was really well received. We had uh, just over 1,500 people that uh, registered and signed up to, to attend. And uh, again, it was, it was fantastic. And I think... Lee, the, the cool thing was it, I mean, that first year I probably lost $1,500 in the setup of all the technology and stuff. Um, some of that was sunk costs. Some of that, um, you know, was ongoing. Um, last year I ended up uh, doing it and uh, not only broke even, but also paid off, uh, you know, the, the loss from the year before. So that was, that was great. And 
what was really cool is I was able to keep it so that it's free for anybody to attend. So we have it live. We have uh, it so that people can, you know, watch the content, consume the content live. We have some pre-recorded uh, episodes that they can watch for the next day or two. Um, and then we take it down. And what we, we do to, to cover the cost then is we have an all access pass. Uh, we keep that price very low so that people can afford it. I mean, we had people, you know, in, in places like Vietnam and, and India and other places that were able to, uh, you know, to, to, buy, uh, to buy it. It's, it's a low cost and be able to have access to it. And if you think about it, we had about the same number of speakers as some of the, you know, the big lean conferences that they have in Europe and they have in the United States and Australia. And we were able to keep um, about the same number of people. And uh, instead of having to pay, you know, thousand or $2,000 to attend and airfare and hotel and lodging and, and transportation, um, we were able to, uh, to do it for, for free for people to, uh, to really um, experience and learn from people that for some places in the world, uh, they don't have that opportunity to listen to that many people talking about a particular topic. Um, and so it's, it's been a fantastic way to give back to the community yeah. and help people uh, to, to learn and to, to grow and to uh, get the skills that they need to uh, take their, their work and their profession to the next level. Yeah, love it, love it. I think it's immense value that you offer and share of for throughout the, the summit, and, and like you say, the um, the resources there for people to to go back at, at the leisure if they get the all, the all access pass as well. So let's just talk about uh, this year. Um, is, is, there's a, is there a theme this year? What is the theme for this year? How, how is it working? Yeah. So um, last year's theme was was around uh, visual problem solving, and so what we did is each day we addressed a different methodology. So we, we looked at Lean and Lean Six Sigma. We looked at uh, design thinking. We looked at storytelling and, and Agile and TWI and, and uh, Toyota Kata. And so we ended up, uh, you know, looking at these different processes and these different tools and these different, uh, you know, methodologies for getting to the root of, of problems and being able to uh, help bring people together to visually solve problems. This year, the theme is about going out and achieving a successful continuous improvement culture within your organization. And so uh, each day we have, uh, we went from six days last year to three days uh, this year. Uh, but those three days are going to have about the same number of speakers as we had in the six. Uh, it's it's going to be fantastic. We're going to have a debate. We're going to have uh, like bunch of keynote speakers. We're going to have a, a forum where people talk about, uh, you know, those, those themes and each day is a slightly different topic. So the first day is about uh, embarking on your lean journey. The second day is about uh, establishing uh, a lean culture change. And, and the final day is about embracing lean thinking. Because really, I think for those people that, that use lean, how do we get there? How do we solve the problem? It's not about which tool we use, but it's about you know, how do we get to that desired final state? And so we want to move away from trying to implement lean, which is really doing lean to people. It's, it's trying to force them to like, you know, come along the journey with us. It's like, you know, pulling them. That doesn't yeah. work. Um, we, we want to go ahead and uh, actually should change that. It's, it's not about pushing them into it, right? We know that pulling works a little bit better. Uh, showing them the way, helping them to, uh, to see the advantages of it. And so what we want to do is we want to move away from implementing lean to practicing lean. 
And we wanted people to be able to practice it, to be able to use it, to be able to uh, share that with uh, their teammates. And uh, at the Port of Seattle, that's one of the, the great things that I see happening. We're finally making that transition from implementing lean to really practicing lean. And so we have several departments that are really starting to embrace it. And then we see other departments that are like, wow, how are you able to do that so quick? How are you able to solve that problem? How are you able to do that? They're like, oh, come along on the journey, check this out. And so we're getting more and more people in the organization that are starting to embrace and try and use and practice lean thinking. Do you think, um, so I, I love that. I, lo- I love the three days. I love the concept. I love what you're trying to do. I fully, 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 fully endorse and support that. I'm a big, um, I, I, I say there's a, whether, whether we use the L word um, or whether we use whatever, whatever improvement methodology that, that people um, navigate towards, it's fundamentally about um, increasing the number of thoughts in our people and reducing the time from thoughts to conversation to action. Um, and as long as you're going in the right, the right direction. And so it comes down to you've said it a, a few times on 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 this in this conversation so far about asking better questions, um, and every and everybody asking questions and, and leaders asking questions and stuff and 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 that's how you know that, that it's being practiced because people are, are using uh, are extracting and I guess pulling um, as opposed to pushing on just really really quickly about about you Jared and your journey because I know when I was first trained. In, in lean methodology and um, about 16 years ago I was given some training and I thought why hadn't I seen this before I thought it is going to change the world and I went outside and pulled a, w- a whiteboard to the team that I was working with and said you need one of these this is going to change your life and I was I was pushing and I was met with like resistance in front of me and and and, and I went on a bit of a journey after that of going from from pushing and, and from introducing and introducing lean um to then to know what i believe is more practicing lean and, and getting people to to practice lean have you been on that journey yourself in terms of your own journey and do you think that everybody has to go through that journey to get to the realization that that, that i've had and, and what you've had uh, i'll pause there for um, and let you, allow you to answer any of the questions i've just asked <laughs> No, Lee, I think, I think those are some great questions. Um, here's, here's what I would say. For me, I have gone on that journey. I have had these, these realizations and epiphanies that you, you can't force people to do it. Uh, and, and to me, it just seems so basic. And it, it seems so commonsensical that it, it, it surprises me when people are super resistant to it. And it's like, okay, well, clearly I haven't explained this well enough, or um, I haven't shown the benefit of what it, it, it's, what's in it for you. I, I think um, there's a couple, a couple of thoughts that, that I had as, as, as you were talking there, but I think one of them is when I first learned about lean, when I first started, you know, learning the principles and, and it, just resonated with me. And I think part of the reason it resonated with me is I've always been looking for that better way to do things. I'd always, you know, figure that there's, there's gotta be something that I'm missing. There's gotta be a, an easier, faster, better way to do this. And when I was a plant manager of a, um, a manufacturing plant, um, I had gone ahead and, uh, and this is before I knew about lean, nobody, you know, there, you know, had any idea about lean, 
but I actually implemented some lean techniques and some lean tools. And uh, it was just stuff that I came up with and I thought it was really smart. And then when I learned about lean and, and I'm you know, being shown these tools, it's like, oh, that was that thing that I ended up coming up with and doing you know, over here. And so it wasn't like I was the first person to create it, but it, was, it just made sense, which is why we ended up you know, using it and doing, doing some of these things. So back to your question, uh, yeah, I think people do have to go on a journey. They do have to you know, realize that you can't do this to people. And, and I think that's change management 101, right? If, if you try forcing people to do something, you're going to be hit with, you know, such huge resistance. Uh, there, was, there was one team that I worked with, and I like to give this, this, um, this analogy. The team was so broken in terms of the processes and the way they were doing things. It just, it, it didn't work. It was frustrating everybody. Uh, they were spending a lot of time doing rework. They were spending a lot of uh, overtime. Uh, you know, time on the weekend sometimes to fix things. It, it was not a good team environment. And there were three people on that team in the course of me working there for about, uh, about seven, eight months that they actually left the team. Unbeknownst to me, they, they'd already accepted offers and they were, they were leaving. And so I was hit with huge resistance because at that point they were so frustrated. They didn't even want to do anything to help the existing team because they were on the way out. They knew they were on the way out. And so uh, I, was, I was hit with resistance. And so the first time I really realized it was when I was asking one of the managers to help me with, you know, just answer a question. And he's like, well, I've been told not to talk to you. It's like, excuse me, I'm asking you one question. It should take about a minute and a half of your time. What do you mean? And they're like, well, you know, we're so busy with the, you know, trying to fix this thing, you know, that's, it's again, broken. Uh, we don't have time to, you know, to, to work on this. And it was akin to me seeing the team in a car. They're going down the road at about two miles an hour. I can walk faster than they're driving because all of four of their wheels are flat. And I happen to have four wheels with me. And I'm like, hey, let's stop for a second. I'll show you how to change this first tire. And then you guys can change the other uh, you know, three tires. And then you can, guys can go down the road at about you know, 65 miles an hour. And uh, right now you're going two miles in an hour. We can go 65 miles. And it might only take us you know, 50 minutes to go ahead and um, you know, change all of these tires. But at the end, that still gives you 10 minutes, which means you're gonna be able to probably go about you know, 10, 11 miles in that first hour versus two. Let's do this. And the driver who happened to be the director who was in the process of leaving said, that sounds really good. Rolls up the window, tells everybody in the car not to roll down the window, not to get out and help. And we're going to we're, we're in this journey together and, and don't talk to this guy. And that's what it was like working for that team. And it was really, really frustrating. Once they left, guess what? Things changed. People were like, oh, now they're gone. OK, what do we need to do? <laughs> you know, we, we were prevented from working with you. We, we want your help now. And uh, and so we were able to get to that point where we were able to help them and to make the changes that they needed in order to really gain the improvements that, that helped them to succeed, to help them enjoy doing that work that they originally you know, started doing. So uh, yeah, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes there's things going on behind the scenes that you're not aware of until later. Yeah. Uh, you just have to keep on trying and, and keep on uh, you know, showing respect for, for people and, and trying to help them to uh, understand how it's going to benefit them. 
Completely, completely. I'm, I'm conscious of the time, Jared. Um, uh, three really quick questions, if that's all right, because I'm, you've got you've got a number of um, of guest speakers you need to round up and uh, and all sorts of virtual lean summit stuff to um, to to sort. But question number one, really quick question, is what's the number one lesson that you have learned from setting up the virtual lean summit or from hosting and facilitating and doing the virtual lean summit? Yeah. I think my number one lesson is everybody has a story kind of like what you're doing with this podcast, right? And so for me, it's not about getting just the A-listers, the people that always attend all of the conferences and are always speaking. They have a great story to tell, but oftentimes they're telling the same story over and over and over again, and you can probably recite it along with them while they're, while they're speaking. To me, what's really fascinating is trying to go out there and get people that are in the trenches that are doing it, that are sometimes just starting out on the journey because you can learn interesting things from people that are just starting out because they're seeing things in a different light that maybe you're, you've become jaded to or that you uh, don't see anymore. And so having that perspective, having people that have been doing it for, for years that are actually experts, but don't like being in the, the spotlight, but they don't mind doing like kind of a, you know, a one-off uh, you know, presentation or something like that. So uh, really it's, it's people, you can learn so much from them. And, uh, and so, Last year, almost every single presentation just, I mean, it blew me away. The stuff that I was learning, the things that they were sharing, it was, it was fantastic. And so I think that's, that's, that's my number one lesson. Yeah, I love that. Love that. Everybody does have a story. I did a series in, on this pod about a year ago that was called Real People, Real Stories, Real Value. And I got 11, 11 or 12 people um, to, to come on week after week and, and just share their stories. And it was people who hadn't ever spoken before um but just about what what they've done it's so relatable it's so real i think yeah completely completely agree um question number two uh what does mr virtual lean summit have for his tea so tea is evening meal what do you what, what's your go-to what are you having for your evening meal this evening <laughs> uh funny story there um when when i lived in in scotland we actually had a lot of people that would invite us over for tea and uh you know you guys like your black tea uh in, in my religion, we, we don't drink, uh, you know, caffeinated black, black tea. Uh, and so we always politely uh, thank them for inviting us over for tea and, and said, we don't drink tea. Um, and it wasn't until almost, you know, having lived there for two years that we realized that, that what they were doing was inviting us over for dinner. And yeah. we felt really <laughs> stupid. And like, <laughs> uh, yeah, just think of all those free meals we could have gotten. But anyway, um, tonight... I don't know. I mean, having lived in Japan, I oftentimes I'll make, uh, you know, Japanese food. My wife is Armenian, uh, you know, so we sometimes will make Armenian uh, meals. Uh, I love cooking. Uh, lately, I've been on a cook or on a cuisine a journey of learning how to uh, cook authentic uh, Chinese food and uh, learning how to make kind of Sichuan dishes and, and, and stuff. And so... Um, I've been sucked in thanks to my, my sons uh, into Instagram world. And so I've, I've found like some pretty cool things about, you know, recipe, uh, you know, hacks and how to, how to do things. And so that's just kind of drawn me in. So most likely I'm going to try another uh, Chinese uh, recipe and see. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. You're a man of many talents, Jared. And, and lastly, final question um, if people wanted to know more about you, uh, if wanted to know about Virtual Lean Summit, where would they go? What would they do? What would they find? Absolutely. Uh, if you want to know more about me, I'm, I'm available on LinkedIn. 
So it's simply, you know, Jared Thatcher, uh, J-A-R-E-D, last name Thatcher. Um, Virtual Lean Summit is just that. It's uh, www.virtualleansummit.com. And uh, when you go onto that page, you can find out more about this year's uh, summit. Uh, we should have the registration uh, up and running uh, by the time this goes live. So we're just uh, putting the final touches on that right now. And uh, it's, it's really cool this year because instead of just doing the, the summit over those three days uh, live, we're actually doing uh, three week or two week sprints where we're doing day one, uh, which actually started this week. And so we're, we're doing uh, the day one speakers for the next two weeks, and then we're doing the day two speakers. So um, when you register, you'll get an email letting you know about all of the pre-recorded sessions that we're doing, as well as uh, the live sessions that we're going to be doing on uh, July 20th, 21st, and 22nd, which is a Wednesday through Friday. And uh, so it's, it's going to be a great opportunity where you have a chance to actually interact in the pre-recorded sessions and also then be able to watch those again when we, we go live uh, in, in July. So uh, yeah, www.virtualleansummit.com. Check that Perfect. Out. Perfect. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, Jared, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story, your lessons, and also just just creating the virtual Lean Summit, which um, is is hugely successful, brings immense value, um, and it comes back to those three things that you said before. It's all about people. It's all about helping, and it's all about sharing. Um, so, so thank thank you so much uh, from myself, Jared, and for everybody else that, that attends, um, and. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day enjoy whatever it is that you decide to coop uh, later on for your for your tea thank you so much Steve. thanks for listening to business problems solved you can contact lee on linkedin facebook instagram or twitter by searching for lee horton the business problem solver or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.